0: Welcome to the AOA podcast series on Lessons in Leadership. My name is Ann Van Heest and I'm honored to serve as the 2023-2024 AOA president. As discussed in our introductory August podcast, part of my AOA presidential duties include joining the orthopedic carousel of presidents from five English-speaking countries and attending each of their annual meetings. The AOA is a leadership organization. As we discuss lessons in leadership, we can learn so much from leaders of other countries. The diversity of our profession includes the diversity of orthopedic surgery in other countries of this world, and to compare and contrast to our own. I am pleased and honored today to host the Canadian Orthopedic Association president, Dr. Lori Heemstra. Welcome to our podcast today and we look forward to discussing lessons in leadership from your vantage point. Thanks, Laurie, for joining me.
1: Hey, thanks, Anne, for having me.
0: So let's start first talking a little bit about the COA
1: Yes, yeah, so we're a membership organization that's voluntary. We comprise about 1,600 members currently. Most of those are active orthopedic surgeons, but we also have 100% of our residents are members of the COA as we get them to join right away out of residency. And we also welcome researchers that are associated with orthopedic research.
0: And you have an annual meeting? Tell us about that.
1: Yes, yeah, so our annual meeting is every June and it rotates around the country, sort of working our way east and west. Uh, as you know, Canada's a pretty big country, so we have to make sure we make it easy for people to get to from different
0: ends of the country. And what's the format of your annual meeting?
1: So it's a three-day meeting. We have a very active subspecialty organizations, so we've organized it so we have subspecialty day on the last day of the meeting, which tends to be a Saturday, and each subspecialty organization is responsible for the educational content for that day. But there is lots of interaction between the groups, so will often be co-sessions between the different subspecialties that have overlapping clinical work. And then the first two days of the meeting tend to be a few more general sessions with more subspecialty or general orthopedic clinical type things mixed in between.
0: So I am interested in your journey to becoming president of the COA. Can you tell me a little bit about your journey and any tips you might have for our young leaders?
1: Yeah, of course. I don't think my journey was particularly typical, I don't think, but uh, I was about 15 years into practice and as you know when you're early in practice you operate, 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 you kind of get your feet under you and get your confidence and I also do a lot of clinical research so I had a pretty well running research program and I was just looking at more and I've always been a member of the COA, I always go to the COA meeting. And I wanted to be part of the people who made the decisions like it looked really exciting to me to be part of something even bigger. So uh, I did what all people should do, (laughs) I called my mentor, which was my program director and I said, you know, I want to be involved. And he was actually either the incoming, he was on the executive incoming president or president or something. So he got me on a committee and I did the committee work, which was great, but I, I wanted something a little more. And just at that time, an email came in my box that said, uh, we're looking for a new member at large for the COA. And and it was for uh, the criteria were for a distributed site, which is what we might call a rural site or a non-academic site. Our new word is distributed site. And uh, so I put my name in and uh, I, I got the position. And like two months later, I'm on the executive of the COA. And lo and behold, I didn't know this, but I was the first woman on the COA executive and board. So...
0: I think that's one of the things that we see in leadership is the willingness to be vulnerable and throw your hat in the ring. Was that hard to do? Or as encouragement to our younger members, how do you get the courage up to throw your hat in the ring?
1: Yeah, you know, there's lots of talk now about women in ortho or underrepresented groups in ortho and going for leadership positions. And I think maybe I'm just really dumb, but I kind of didn't pay attention to that. I just knew what I like to do. I like to be part of decision-making. I I don't like to have things happen to me. I'd rather be part of what happens. And I I don't even think I think of those extraneous things. I just, that's what I wanted, so I apply. And honestly, if you don't ask, the answer is always no. So... So I ask, and lots of times the answer is no, and sometimes the answer is yes, and and then you have your foot in the door.
0: Yeah, so again, that's a great leadership pearl is just don't be scared, just do it.
1: No, Ruth Gautien has a good quote about that. She says, uh, fear not trying more than you fear failing.
0: And we do fail. Have you applied to committees or leadership positions where you have not been accepted?
1: I have. You know, I like to think life works out for the right thing you, you might not know what it is when you get it so you might really want some position and you don't get it and you're heartbroken and you think everything why should I try anymore everything's terrible and then you know a few months later something comes up and you're like oh you know what this is a better opportunity I'm glad I didn't get that one because it's opened the door for something else so I really try to look at the you know the glass is half full but it's not even as trite as that it's, it's we don't know what opportunities are coming and Sometimes things happen for the right reason, even though you may not understand it that way yourself. Yeah,
0: that's kind of that concept of when one door closes, another door opens. Similar
1: concept, yeah. Yeah. It's been very true in my life.
0: Well, that's great to hear. So the AOA is a leadership organization that is committed to identifying and discussing critical issues in orthopedic surgery. What do you see as critical issues in Canada at this time?
1: So that's a great question, Anne. And the hard part is going to be keeping it to a low number. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, think, we can take yeah. them one at a time.
1: <laughs> so my platform for my presidency was unity through diversity. So obviously, diversity, and I think this is true in all countries. Diversity on all levels, and it uh, is a is an issue that we are tackling, but will remain an issue until we solve it. And I think part of that is is the other part of my platform which is unity through diversity so we need to be as an orthopedic profession united because I think we've fallen off the bandwagon a little bit by not being in complete control of the medical system in the world we live in so depending what country you're in insurance companies governments the power has been taken away from the doctors and patient care has maybe become not the focus of how we run our medical systems. So I think they all feed into each other. You need a diverse group, but you need to be unified. Because I think it's a real challenge right now to keep our healthcare system value-based and patient-centered. And I think nobody but physicians can do that.
0: Yeah. Are there any particular issues presently at Canada? Can you just yeah. explain a little bit your healthcare system?
1: Yeah, so we're a national healthcare system, single-payer insurance, which is essentially the government but the implementation of our medical system so it's federally funded but it's provincially implemented so one of the things that is very frustrating and it makes it very hard to be a unified front of orthopedic surgeons or doctors or anything is that silos of care so again even within my province the hospitals might have different rules and d- different operations they let you do and different days you have surgery and and then within provinces you know you you think we have a national healthcare system but you get paid differently for the same operation in different provinces and the rules are different in every province so your license is different in every province so it becomes very hard to be united when you're actually are divided by the bureaucracy above So I think that's been a real challenge.
0: Just Uh, as a naive United States citizen (laughs) where we have 50 states and obviously our own healthcare problems, but in a national system like that, can you travel from, Province to province, or are you assigned within a certain healthcare system as the patient? So you get a
1: license within a province. So if I I got my job in Calgary when I started working, so I had to apply to Alberta from my Alberta medical license. So I can actually not practice in British Columbia. I cannot practice in Manitoba. So this becomes a real problem, and it is one of the. Um, trigger points for Canadian health care during COVID because especially in places like the Maritimes where we have a whole bunch of little provinces just like you do in eastern seaboard of the USA you know it might be a, an hour drive to the next city over and you can't work there or you have to have four different licenses which includes the fees and the paperwork and all the nonsense to get your four different licenses in four different provinces so there's definitely been some work on that front since COVID because that Force the issue somewhat.
0: And how about for the patients? Do the patients have to stay within their own province or are they able to go anywhere in the national health care system?
1: Another point of contention. So uh, according to the Canada Health Act, it has universality as part of its tenets. So you do get health care across provinces. During COVID, when budgets became tight, there are some provinces that they translated that into only emergency medical care in other provinces. So there were some roadblocks put up to doing elective care from other provinces, which, again, in a large country, you might live a lot farther away from the big city in your province than you do from a a care centre in the province over, and we were not allowed to care for patients. So I personally live 15 minutes from the border of B.C., and a lot of our patients, we take care of all of eastern B.C., and we were no longer allowed to. Mm. during COVID.
0: And speaking of COVID, has the elective schedule been able to resume and are wait lists of ongoing problem in Canada? So wait lists were a big problem before COVID in Canada, as
1: probably many people are aware. They're even bigger problem now. I think many places are back to what they were doing pre-COVID. There are many places that are not back there. So again, that's got some regional variation. And again, depending on what type of surgery you do, day surgery versus inpatient. But uh, our waitlists are certainly not back to where they were and are, are worse, but they didn't start good.
0: And is that something the COA gets involved with or is that more on the political front, separate from the COA?
1: The COA definitely is trying to be involved in that. Again, we're an, a national voice and then this, the different rules for the different provinces make that difficult we had nine meetings with government this year talking to them about wait lists about improving patient care uh, about all these issues that are roadblocks to getting that wait list down and so i think we've made some inroads on the advocacy front but again it's very difficult with you know each hospital even having different rules to advocate from a national standpoint but we're doing our very best
0: it sounds like the theme of unity was a major challenge with the structure that you have in your national health care system.
1: Yeah, I, and I think probably many countries face similar challenges just on how, how the money rolls down, but that's the difficult one for us. So we have provincial organizations that work within each province and we've actually brought them together. So each provincial president now is part of a COA committee. So our provinces mm. come together nationally. So we've really tried to unify the country as best we can in in those ways, because obviously we can't just change the uh, federal payment structure for health care. So we're trying to present a much more united front as a group of orthopedic surgeons.
0: So you said that your platform for your presidency was unity through diversity. So it sounds like you made a lot of progress in unity. How about progress in diversity?
1: Yes, so we've made lots of progress, I'd like to think. A lot of it was advocacy, I think I would call it, for the underrepresented. So, again, you, you have to meet people where they are. Uh, even just uh, supplying a baseline education for the entire membership group. You and I talk about diversity a lot, and we can throw around all these words and definitions, but you know, letting everyone have an understanding of what, what we're talking about is the, is the first step. We've made some inroads into that by uh, programs at our annual meeting and symposia, and really just trying to up the awareness. We've really worked on developing our young leaders, which is not just a diversity initiative, but it's a diversity from an age perspective. So, again, if you only have all the old people like me in charge, then who, who's taking over? So, we have a diversity scholarship which allows people of underrepresented groups some funding to do leadership courses so we're working on leadership as well as diverse leadership and then we've started a emerging leader program which also it's not only for underrepresented groups but underrepresented groups are encouraged
0: Um, yes certainly the AOA has really worked on the resident leadership forum and the emerging leaders forum which have been very successful programs for us what groups are particularly underrepresented in medicine and are there certain groups that you are trying to target for orthopedics
1: you know initially a lot of our efforts have been directed at gender and not because it's the most important but i think it's the most obvious there's a lot of difference between men and women and it's very visually obvious we had hoped, and we do hope, that all the work for diversity isn't just um, going to benefit gender, but will benefit all underrepresented groups. So we have tried to weave that diversity theme through all the programs of the COA, so we don't just have a women and ortho group, which is great, but that is, does not maybe help the other represent, underrepresented groups. But we've tried to weave this theme throughout focusing initially on gender but trying to spill that out onto the other underrepresented groups. We actually in June last year we had the first partnership with Pride Ortho from the U.S. and we had a Pride Ortho symposium uh, at the meeting so that was very successful and I think that was a really great partnership. So we're trying to intentionally expand out to other other underrepresented groups.
0: That's great to hear and it's interesting that your approach has been to be inclusive of women and not have a separate women's group yeah. and that was intentional
1: it was very intentional and i you know what it was one of those things where you, you leapt in feet first because you know a lot of people said we want a women's group we want this we want that and a few regional women's groups have sprung up i know the women in quebec they get together every once in a while but it's a bit more ad hoc and not so um, structured structured or organized mm-hmm. So I think what we've done is created an arena for mentorship, for networking, without actually intentionally creating a group. And I think it's been very successful. And uh, again, it's one of those things, you know, you can fall flat on your face and you could wish you did something different, but it's worked very well in Canada.
0: Well, again, I think that's a great example of learning from other countries and that there's a variety of different approaches to solving similar problems. Yes. One of the other things that our AOA membership is very interested in is educating the next generation. So in the United States, we're presently rolling out competency-based education with our knowledge, skills, and behavior program that's going to be mandated starting in 2025. I know that, that, ha- that you have a long experience with competency-based medical education. Can you just tell us a little bit about that in Canada and maybe the role of the COA?
1: For sure, so the COA is not directly involved in resident education like it is in probably all the other countries we're traveling with right now. So our resident training is all run by the Royal College. Having said that, we, we have a committee of our ortho-chairs of Canada that meet at COA, so we're very much trying to keep a pulse on what's going on and, and be aware. Certainly. All the residents are given you know, given free membership at the COA when they become residents, so we represent the residents as an association, but we actually don't have control over their training. Having said that, we have had company-based training since 2017 in Canada. My understanding is it's been quite successful. I, I'm actually not directly involved in a, in a residency program, so I don't have first-hand knowledge of it. Um, and they've made some adjustments this year so like everything it it was they used it for a bunch of years and have made some adjustments to it and uh, but that's how all our programs are run in Canada
0: and so the Royal College of Surgeons tell us a little bit about that as an organization juxtaposed to the COA
1: so the Royal College of Physicians and Surgeons of Canada would represent all medical groups so there are licensing bodies so my medical my overall orthopedic surgery you passed your exams you're a surgeon now comes from the Royal College so everyone's a member of the Royal College so they represent all the doctors in Canada so they They have all the data on numbers and where people are moving and and that kind of demographic data. Mm -hmm. And then they they also run the education for everybody.
0: So they are the accrediting agent for Canada. You know, as we reflect on the differences between our two countries, there's several different groups that need to be at the table, including the residents and the residency program directors, because they're the boots on the ground. How are the residents represented in your system and how are the residency program directors represented?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, Anne. Our residents all have provincial organizations, so all all subspecialties, there's a resident organization for each province, and then the orthopedic residents would be part of that. The Canadian Orthopedic Resident Association, CORA, is actually part of COA. so we have all the orthopedic residents get free membership in the coa and they're all members of cora and uh, cora is all part of our governance structure also so we will have a resident member on every committee in the coa governance structure so the residents have a voice in each committee including the program committee for our meeting and in fact for our annual meeting the orthopedic residents have a dedicated half day where they actually bring in in many of the surgeons who are now, of course, in town from all over the country, and they create their own programming for their own half day as part of our annual meeting. So we feel that our residents have a a very big voice within the COA and that we we speak as, as a group that includes our residents.
0: It sounds like that's a really effective way. And how do your residency program directors organize?
1: Right now, the residency program directors, they meet with that whole group under the banner of the Royal College. So they already have several meetings a year, but they also report to their orthopedic chairs of their university. So within the COA governance, we've created an orthopedic chairs of Canada committee where each orthopedic chair from each university then meets a few times a year to discuss you know, national issues, and then that trickles down to their program director, who they work very closely with.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Do you know how many residency programs there are about in Canada? I think there's 17. And again, in the United States, we have 204. Yeah. So again, that's some of the relative size issues and obviously way more institutions than that, but that's great having a meeting of the chairs. Well, thank you, Lori, for joining me today. I think your leadership journey and your experience in the COA has really helped to broaden the mindset of our AOA members and it allows us greater appreciation of the diversity of orthopedic surgery across the world. Thank you for your leadership and it's been my privilege to spend time with you discussing these important issues.
1: Yeah, thanks so much, Ann.